Hey, on today's episode, Balanced Personality. How people followed the Torah even before it was given. Why Rabbonim disagreed with Kabbalistic takes on sin and evil. And living a life of wholesome balance. I'm Moshe Shomron and this is the Chavrisa Podcast. An exploration of timeless wisdom and ideas that have guided some of history's greatest men and women for over 3,000 years. Rabbi Rabbonim of Pesheska was once walking and he saw a farmer building a barn. He's building something. And he realized, Rabbonim, that the planks that the farmer was using were of different sizes. They weren't the same. So he stopped to see what would the farmer do. How would he make them fit? And the farmer takes out a drill of sorts and cuts off a, a huge piece in the, of a hole in one of the planks that the other plank, the shape, could fit, slide into the hole. And Bottom turned around to his students that were with him and he said, look how you can make peace between two sides. Not to force them to be the same, but rather to make space for one to fit the other. If you can't see somebody emotionally or physically, then you don't relate to them. But him said the, the Pasuk in Shemais in Exodus 10.23 says, Lo ish has achiv kamu ish mitachtav. Lo ish has achiv. One man did not see his brother. kamu ish mitachtav. And a man did not get up for one another. Rabbanim commented and he said, because they didn't see each other, they therefore didn't get up for one another. The manner in which you relate to other people stands as the litmus test as to who you are. It's not only about the apprehension, comprehension of yourself. That's the be end, be all and end all of, of spiritual behavior. But it's how you relate to the other people. You, are you seeing another person? And it doesn't mean that they have to be exactly the same. So a great quote was, we have to be unified, not uniform. Stand unified, not uniform. And that's that's this idea. That's peace. Don't don't not the force to be the same, not conformity, but unity that maintains its diversity. There's a long standing tradition that all the patriarchs and matriarchs kept the Torah followed in the ways of the Torah, in the ways of Hashem, even before the Torah was actually given at Sinai. I was given 3,333 years ago, which we'll celebrate the anniversary of, coming up at the beginning of next week. They kept it. Now the question is, what does that mean, they kept it? If there was no Torah given, so what does it mean that they kept it? So Rabbanim, very consistently throughout his teachings, taught that Torah is something that comes from the internal. Like we talked about the last episode, it's the searcher that's finding that lost object. It's something that's there the whole time. You can make contact with that, yet unstated and uncommanded Torah, but it's still there. It's still part of 
the the essence of truth is the essence of the world. So you could attune yourself if you get down to who you truly are and you're an authentic, genuine person. So then you'll connect with authentic, genuine things out in the world, in the, in the physical world, and in the spiritual world. And not only that, but but that's the goal. The goal is to integrate the spiritual and physical worlds, to connect both worlds. So the, the Medrash says that Avraham, Abraham connected the higher and lower worlds. What does that mean? That he was able to fuse spiritual and physical worlds, that not to escape this world as some spiritual ascetics would have us think, but to connect with Hashem to bring it into this world. Like the Yehudi said, or put him with a quote from his teacher, the Yehudi, the greatest wisdom in the world is to be involved in the world and yet still maintain the great wisdom. And and the, this whole assumption is based in that the Torah is not something that's artificially imposed onto human nature. It's not that human nature is animalistic or corrupted in some way, and that when you download Torah, then it will somehow uncorrupt it and, and fix it and solve everything. Right? It's not something that's it's not an imposition. It's not artificial. It comes from within. It's real nature. It's the realness of you exuding forward. Now, sometimes you need certain conditions in order to thrive. And that's what the Torah will do. It will eliminate the negative conditions and provide the positive conditions for that inner you to, to burst forth. But once you touch that point of reality within yourself, you discover the truth of your core being. You're able to see the truth as reflected through Hashem throughout nature, throughout the world, throughout other people. And this aspect clearly emerges in Rabunim's personal life, that he's able to develop an approach of groundedness, to have a philosophical underpinning that the human nature, that you can be aligned with yourself, with your true self, with nature, with the world, with Hashem. And that gives you the capacity to have a clear spiritual outlook while maintaining an appreciative broad-mindedness in respect to human nature. And it's a very healthy psychology to have. So, Rabunim was, for example, attacked by some of his antagonists in his lifetime for being too uh, too modern or too... Uh... He was attacked on multiple fronts. But one of the, the big fronts was that, you know, he dressed in a very classy, dignified business matter. He was a, a business person. It, it was his his personal life. And Rabunim's whole defense was, is that this is the underpinning of Judaism. It's not that you have to wear dark clothes and and remove yourself from any physical dealings and old business and, and things like that. No. So the Rabbanim would uh, interpret it such a, a beautiful idea. The meeting happens between Joseph and Pharaoh after after Yosef interprets the dreams of Pharaoh. And Pharaoh's response, this is in Bereshus 41.38, Vayemer Pari al Pharaoh turns to his servants and says, Hanimsa kezeh, 
Ish, Asher Ruach Elohim Bo. Can you find another person like this that has the spirit of Hashem? So Rabbanim said, "What's the what's the a person like this? Like this? What's this? Can you find a person like this that has the spirit of Hashem?" So Rabbanim says, "You know what power is saying? Can you find a person like this? Good-looking person with long curly hair that has nice clothes that speaks many languages that will end up being a superb business person." Right, he becomes the chief economist of Egypt. And before that, he was running Potiphar. Potiphar was a wealthy fellow in, in Egypt. And Yosef was running his entire enterprise. So, Could you find a person like this that's so materially successful? And at the same time, that has godly spirit within him, that's walking with Hashem. That was the the Egyptian. The Egyptians couldn't wrap their head around this power. Couldn't. It's either this or not. Either you're the monk, you're the uh, the celibate fellow, the ascetic, or you're the person all involved in in the physical world. They couldn't wrap their hands. They could have both. And maybe Rabbanim's reading a, a bit of his own defense into these into these second. That he was a person that was able to have that balance to be able to to be grounded in this world and at the same time be a legendary Chassid Grava and Torah influencer and authentic Jew. It follows then that in Peshiska there's going to be a great disagreement with some traditions within Kabbalah and Jewish mysticism. There is a tradition that denies all validity to this world or one sense of this world. And it argues that, yeah, there might be many realities, but there's only one true existence. And that the entire world that we live in is only animated by sparks, by holy sparks, fallen sparks, nitzitzes, that emanated from Hashem when He created the world, that animate the physical world. But it's all... Um, an illusion of sorts. The Baal Tanya, Pshner Zalman of Liadi, the first Chabad Rabbi, says that even if we perceive the world as being, it's an absolute lie. And Kabbalah in general facilitates such a view. Whereas in Peshischa, all these concepts that, that emerge from this, such as nullifying the self, or divesting oneself of corporeality, corporeality, seeing the world as a lie, not relying on your own sensory perceptions, that's all beyond the pale for a button. That's all, that's, that's, that's beyond the line. Because, no, the focus is on the human being living in this world, and it is real, and you're real, and the world's real. It's that sense of groundedness. So, the, this this Kabbalah instinct is muted. The mystical significance of a of a tzaddik of a rebbe is muted. Because when these things are muted, the likely it is the focus is going to be on, on you, on the human 
in this world. So the world is not an illusion. It's not filled with divine sparks, but it's a manifestation of Hashem. It is real. It's the most real thing because of that. And awareness of Hashem's presence in the world reflects a conscious experience. It's not an egoless tveikas. It's not a bitalayesh that you're nullifying yourself, that you're taking yourself out of the equation, and only then are you one with, with what's real. But no, the conscious plugging into it, that it, Hashem is here and real in the world, and you can plug right into that. And it's not an illusion. It's not a, a spark that you're uplifting or a shell that you're uncovering. But it's real. The world's not an illusion. Nature's not a threat. But the world is an opportunity for human beings to be engaged with the real relationship with Hashem. The Torah tells us, Sur me rava Turn away from evil and do good. And Rabbanim interprets it and he says, Sur me ra, Turn away from evil. Don't pay attention to evil, to sin. Don't dwell too much on, on these concepts. Our opponent's philosophy is that it's, when we think about a vera or, or missteps in the past, they're not these cataclysmic events that caused irreparable damage and irreparable change has taken place in a person once they've done these things. Turn away from from this view, this view that perhaps is rooted in some of these more mystical streams. And Rabbanu will point out, this is the opening teaching, and Ramasayim Taifim is the collection of teachings collected by Rabbanu's disciple, Shmuel. And the opening teaching is, is that in the, right at the beginning of the Torah, Adam, Adam is still called Adam even after he eats from the, the fruit. Isha is still called Isha even after she's expelled from the garden. And Rabbanim repeats it and he says, you're still the same person. There's no irreparable change. You are you. Sin and evil, they're not these demonic forces of the Satan and, and whatnot. It's part of human nature. You make a mistake and it's not a subject that you should dwell too much on. You improve, yes, but to, to sit there and dwell and, and agonize over your your... Past sins, no, that's a no. I rather, do good through the good, that in itself will automatically annul and nullify the evil that has been done. And as Dr. Rosen points out, this is not like the easy way out. This is not okay, don't rigorously analyze your behavior, instead, just do good. Rather, it's a psychological insight that has major significance. It means that for a person to change, the context of the person to change has to be a positive reference. You need a positive frame of reference. And then once you have that frame of reference, once you have that context, then either evil will become irrelevant, like Rabbanim said, automatically be annulled, because you're now in a, in a better place, and you're no longer that person. Or through that positive frame of reference, you'll have now that emotional strength to deal with the issue at hand. But you first need to get to that space. And therefore, your entire context of how you look at the past changes. And it's a lot healthier psychological way of, of living life. It's an echo from something that Rabbanim's Rabbi, the Yehudi, 
the Holy Jew used to teach. And he would say that on Hanukkah, we don't paskin like Beishamai. We don't rule like Beishamai that you light eight candles the first night, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. And on the last night of Hanukkah, you light just one candle. But rather, we go like Beis Hill, whose view was that you start with one candle and each night you add a new light. And he said the symbolism here is, is that to increase good in the world, to overcome evil, every day, every night, you add more. You learn more Torah, you do more mitzvahs. And this way you automatically, through that process of doing good, you'll depart from the evil. Because, the Yehudi points out, that if you wait, wait, before I, I start doing all these, embarking on these great spiritual journeys and personal growth, before I got to eradicate all my bad stuff, you'll spend your whole life doing that. The days will pass, but the evil won't. So it turns out that this is a, a very deep understanding in the human psyche. It's not a theological concern. It's not dealing with bigger philosophical, theoretical issues of evil and how evil exists and free will and things like that. The concern is becoming a better human being. And it's a belief that the human being with all our frailties and our errors and our flaws, we have the ability to navigate in our personal path towards Hashem. The student of Rabbanim L'chadushi Arim, who ends up becoming the first Gerarabi, who had a very forceful expression of this idea, he was talking about the High Holidays, Yom Kippur, that context of repentance, tshuva, and averos, and confession, vidoy, and he said, that if a person does something wrong and then focuses on that, so then you're thinking all the time about it. So it comes to Yom Kippur and your whole Yom Kippur is spent in the thing that you've done. That's where your thoughts are. That's where you are. A person is where their thoughts are, says the Chidush So if your thoughts the entire time are about what you did, so then you're still there. And he says a person who thinks about mud is still in the mud. You're in the mud. And that could cause a, a just a dulling of your mind, and, and you could become depressed about it, you could become down about it. And if you did do that thing, let's say it was a terrible thing, then what? What does Hashem gain from that by you thinking about it? He says instead of thinking of Averis, you could be stringing pearls together, adding something to Malcha Shemayim, adding something to Hashem's glory. Instead of thinking about, well, I did this, I did this, I did this, you could be going out and, and increasing godliness in the world. So that's the approach to improve human character. Not necessarily a direct attack on the negative qualities within you and self-flagellation to, to engineer and, and, and devote all your energy and resources towards. Because... That's not, that's not, even, even when you have a high value of self-analysis, self-analysis is great, but you don't want it to be self-obsession. Self-analysis, yes, self-obsession, no. You shouldn't be that, that thing that you're obsessing over. So and like the Chetush says, right? String pearls, string pearls, not because you're evading the challenge of self-analysis. You're not evading the challenge, but you're becoming a new person. Your whole framework of your being is changing. And then you realize, when, when you're in that new framework, you realize how trivial your past was. And that you don't want that to continue. 
One of the most well-known and famous teachings of Rabbanim is that a person should always have two pieces of paper, one in each pocket. And you could pull out whichever pocket when necessary. One piece is written, the world was created for me. The other piece, I am dust and ashes. Both quotations from the Torah. The sense of balance that flowed from the understanding of human nature that Rabbanim had. To have that both. At times you need to navigate the world with that sense of drive and ambition and self-esteem and godless Adam, how great a person is. And the other times to have that shiftless, to have that cognizance of who I am and to have a certain degree of subservience. And realizing that there's so much beyond you that's awesome. And different places to be able to pull out one from another. I heard this once from a conversation I was having with Rabbi Ruvain Ibragimov. <laughs> this might have been the only conversation I ever had with him. This great Jew out of New York. At least from what I know from my one conversation is when he must be great. Listen to this. So we were talking about humility. And how to, to work on humility. And it came up, what if a person is naturally more introverted, more the type that a person that wants to, they walk into a building, they want to be in the back, they want to be in the corner, they want to be on the side. So is that person's attempt at humility going to manifest differently than somebody who's naturally outgoing and dynamic and is in the center of things and is the first one to volunteer to give the commencement speech and he's no no for one person it might be to give up the speech and to move to the back of the room for the other person who's more naturally gravitating towards the sidelines you know what maybe we're brighter clothing that makes you stick out, that draws the attention to you. And what this would mean is that when you're talking with different people, and this was the context of our conversation when you're talking with different students, for example. So then depending on the student too, the way you interface, right? Because you're not only thinking about yourself, but you're thinking about the other person too. So when you're approaching something with respect and with dignity and with humility it's going to manifest differently in different conversations you're not always going to pick the same route because at times you're going to adapt and you're going to go with that one pocket of dust and ashes on the other hand you'll come with with a certain gravitas that is necessary for the other person it's an incredible insight in in human nature because until this conversation that i had with her roofing i thought okay like i need to be humble so let me try to be a little bit more humble today than i was yesterday but it was it was a one sort of image of what humility is but then it turns out that maybe i was just going with how i understood it in in something that was more intuitive to my personality something that was easier for me and hearing this it, it sort of flipped the switch that you know what sometimes humility is going to be 
putting yourself out there. Drawing the attention. Not to something superficial, but drawing the attention to your idea or to something inner about you. Something real, something genuine, something authentic. And that drawing of the attention is in itself the way that you're working on becoming a more authentic, genuine person. And it, and it was interesting to me because I was always the guy that you walk into a crowded room and you take the back the back table. Maybe this means that no, when you go to shul, for example, sit in the middle. Go a little bit outside of your comfort zone in order to make sure that you're not just going with what's most comfortable. I thought it was cool. Thanks for proving. If you ever if we ever have another conversation, this will be cool. And to bring it back to our bottom, I think that's what his expression his expression is saying. That on one hand you gotta develop a sense of individual, who you are as an individual, your own uniqueness. As if the whole world was created just for you. It's just you. You are awesome. You are amazing. The whole world could have been accomplished just if you would be there. The entire history of the world, if you were the only person existing, Hashem would have created the entire world just for you. That's incredible. And on the other hand, to be aware of your other insignificance before Hashem. And the wisdom of life is to know and to have the insight when to use one and when to use the other. And ultimately, ultimately, along with this, this is the goal. The goal is that every single person operates in the context of her own reality. It's all the story of Rav Isaac of Krakow that we talked about. Right? The moral is the story that the treasure lies within a person's heart. Or his famous remark that we mentioned of there's no value in duplicating Abraham. Hashem doesn't need what would he gain from another Abraham? He had Abraham already. He wants Bunim. That's what he created me. I don't need to be like somebody else, like my rabbi. He has my rabbi already. I got to be me. Right? Or the assertion that Rav Bunim made is that a person could only connect. I could connect to the, my great roots that I come from. Patriarchs, the matriarchs, my grandparents, my parents, my lineage that I come from is so amazing. But you know how I could only connect to them? The only hope to connect to them is while you're treading your own path. That's the agia. It touches. It's not their path, but it touches their path while you're drawing your own. All, right, all these insights are part of this balance. I'm with this fascinating quote. Bottom says, A wise man person with a good heart, a person who prays a lot, is bad for society. So his students looked at it and said, like, so so what could we do? We can't be wise, we can't have good heart, we can't have daven, what are we supposed to do? So he answered and he said, all three of them together. This insight, Rabbanim is expressing his affinity for balance and an aversion to any extreme. That wholesome balance to join all these three qualities in one personality. And then he concludes, and thus you can serve Hashem properly. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Harusa. If you enjoyed before, you even subscribe and rate it five stars and review and all that. And listen to the other episodes. Please reach out to me. Let me know your thoughts 
connections, ideas, questions, critiques. My number is 347-893-4467. Chavrusapodcast at gmail.com or across social media channels. Thank you. Have a wonderful day overflowing with happiness.